Hi, and welcome to Decoding AQ, helping you to learn the tools, mindsets, and actions to thrive in an ever-changing world. Hi, and welcome to the next episode of Decoding AQ. With me today, I have Richard Hinton from New York. He's the Director of People Strategies at Shawmut Design and Construction. So welcome. Thank you so much. Thank you. So I'm really excited because Richard started actually as an intern at Gillette, followed by a couple of years in HR, a media and marketing company, before he joined uh, Shawmet almost 16 years ago, I think. Uh, For those who don't know, Shawmet is a 1.3 billion design and construction firm, which is 100% employee owned by over a thousand employees, I think now. Richard has a unique ability to streamline training strategies and enhance work performance, uh, employee morale, and really get the best out of this division that is HR. And he prides himself in his expertise for driving innovation and initiatives to restructure processes and really make sure the playbook works, right? So he sees that the investment in talent enablement and growth is critical to a company's both market advantage and overall growth. So let's start with a simple question for you, Richard. And we're on Tuesday, we're recording this on Tuesday, but it's a question that many of us have been asked maybe many times. It's quite a simple one, but how's your week going so far, Richard? Interesting. Um, I feel in the wonderful world of human resources, um, it's always a surprise. Um, so I, I have to say this week, it's it's going. It's it's going. I, I think with the times we're in right now, um, it, as an HR professional, you should always be ready for the unexpected. And so uh, I'd have to say today, I've been uh, dealing with a number of different unexpected events, but uh, I'm, I'm moving. I'm here. So that's happy. It's something to celebrate. It's par for the course, isn't it? I think for anyone who's still breathing and alive is being able to deal with uncertainty, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And- um, so I learned earlier that you're just celebrating your ninth anniversary in New York. So a move from Boston, where the firm was headquartered, into New York. Tell me about that. What was that like? Was that something that you were moving for the first time? Have you moved around a bit? What was that story? Tell us. Yeah, I'm um, like, I was raised in Massachusetts and I spent the majority of my life in Massachusetts. I um, ironically had... Um, just bought a house. I bought a brand new car. I was really, really um, had my my roots set in Massachusetts and not my family's there and everything like that. So living in New York City was never anything that I had ever dreamed upon or dreamed of or anything like that. So um, when the opportunity came to um, really kind of take my career to the next level and really have some autonomy and driving um, growth at New York, the New York office. Um, I just jumped at the occasion. It was, it was one of those moments where, you know, I was asked and I immediately knew that I was going to be living in New York. It was so, so ironic. I remember getting on the plane and, you know, looking out the window and I was like, I am moving to New York. I there's, I'm very much a process person. So I usually stew over things, but this was a, a decision that I knew I was going to, I was going to do right away. And I haven't looked back since. So what do you think the difference was, Richard, for you? If if your normal way of dealing with uh, something that was new is to go through a process, to think about it, what was different in this situation that made you just instinctively go, I can see myself there. That's it. I'm off. What, what, what was different? 
Yeah, I think it, that's a really great question. I think I was really just looking for a change. I wanted, I needed to challenge myself in another way. Um, I find that I am most, I am most motivated when there's a challenge in front of me and I have the autonomy to really kind of drive that change. Um, and this just felt like, you know, it wasn't just a, a change for my career. It was just a change for my life. I kind of was, you know, at this place where, you know, everybody was settled around me. My family was good. My friends, I, I just needed that change. And um, this just felt like the perfect opportunity. And I also feel like if you can live in New York City, you can live anywhere. And um, I like to hold myself to uh, some pretty high standards too. So that was a challenge. And New York did not treat me well in the beginning. I will I will say I learned the hard way, but um, nine years later, I, I can I can say it was definitely probably one of the best decisions I've ever made in my entire life. It sounds like a, a line from a song, you know, if you can live in New York, you can live anywhere. It probably <laughs> is. It probably is. It might be. It might it be. Might be. It might be. Um, so in terms of the changes that you went through from having certainty, solidarity around family, just bought home, car, mm-hmm. those sorts of things, to come into a new city, a new environment, and also for the work, it was setting up a new office, right? right. Um, and expanding and growing that. What were some of the unexpected challenges that you could remember that were maybe really impactful in the way that you responded or thought over those nine years? What what highlights do you have? I think more so, I, I had a benefit because I, I did travel to New York back and forth a lot. So the office was already established here in the city and it was really more around the growth. So I knew all the key stakeholders, I knew the employees. The only, the biggest issue though was I really didn't know New York City at all. So I didn't know the geography of the city. I still am learning that nine years later. Um, but I'd say the biggest the biggest um, obstacle was really just understanding the culture of New York. New York is a city that never sleeps. It continues to go. It, there's always hustle and bustle. There's so many different types of people. Um, there's so many different events. There's always something going on. So I found myself with sensory overload and it was just a lot to kind of take in. So that's why I say, I feel like, you know, I I wanted to kind of boil the ocean all in once, you know, with being here and I wanted to experience everything and meet as many people as I can and travel around the city as much as I can and, you know, hit all those spots. And I think that was incredibly overwhelming and that almost, you know, um, set me up for a little bit of failure in the beginning too. It's just, you know, I think it's one of those things where I just kind of had to take my time and get to know things on a more, you know, slow pace and be a little bit more palatable. But with the city going so fast, you, you kind of kind of have to really train yourself to slow down and take a step back and actually look at the bigger picture and what makes the most sense for, for me, for Richard or for you as that respective person. So I think that was a huge learning um, for me just around change and just really understanding the cultural makeup of the city and how I was going to insert myself and be part of the city. I guess that story would resonate for people in other contexts like joining a new role right absolutely and the the office has grown to it's like 200 or so in the um new york office coming what's the culture uh want to learn everything you know sensory overload all of these things we have at various points in our lives it might be a you know transition of city we live on it's also the roles the people we work with and the companies uh that are going through so are there things that from that experience or from those observations, you, you've set up playbooks or evolved the way in which you operate for onboarding or transitioning people from role to role 
relevant to that story? Yeah, I think um, it's a great question too. I, I think a lot of what we what we try to do here at Shaman is, um, you know, we're very hands-on and taking time with our managers. That's one thing that I have really, really tried to do is spend as much face-to-face time, not only with management, but also with employees, just to ensure that I understand what are the gaps, what are the development needs that we may have to put into place. Um, but really, um, how do we get from point A to point B? So be it onboarding, be it hiring, be it an employee relations situation, just making sure that folks understand that HR is a resource for them um, for any questions they have. And, and I like to also set myself up to be a person that if anybody has any questions, period, regarding the business, regarding Shamit, regarding culture, regarding anything, just being that critical player. Um, but in regards to onboarding, I think it's really just ensuring that folks have a good understanding of what our culture is, um, understanding about what the expectations are, their resources, all of that, and, um, and really just making sure that people know that, you know, if they if they have issues with their managers or they have issues with anything, that they always have, um, you know, a place in HR. And I know how HR, HR, you know, departments are known in other companies and everything like that. So a lot of um, what I had to do is really kind of continue to dismantle that, that thinking and um, truly be a partner, not only for the leadership team, but also for employees as well as, as managers as well. I guess that life cycle that people go through of as we explore new, as we develop, as we find our feet of who we are, mm-hmm. how we show up, yeah. and then stuff changes, right? <laughs> the, the, we left get and right. Left, yeah, we hit, mm-hmm. hit left and right from external factors as much as internal factors, whether it's a, a, a technological breakthrough, whether it's new client or markets that we're going into or pandemic issues. There's always this shift and i'm i'm really curious with an organization that's you know significant size significant impact and employee owned right what are some of the unique things that you think have been some strengths to help navigate a lot of those changes you know a lot of the impact of pandemic of shifts what are some of the traits that have shown up that have helped you as a team uh, deal with that and thrive in it yeah, I think um, we 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 were really actually set up for um, set up for the pandemic in so many ways and, and in a very indirect way. Um, so at Shaman, we have a flexible flexible arrangement kind of a program here, and we had it well before well before the pandemic or anything like that. So when everybody was pretty much sent home during you know uh, the you know COVID and everything like that. We already had systems in place. We had kind of processes in place for folks to really be able to do their work remotely as needed. But in construction, you also have folks that are actually on the job site as well. So, you know, it was always a a complicated kind of a balance of how do you also make sure that everybody is safe, um, that people feel like they can be safe and they can get to their, their work safely, but also feel like they feel supported at the same time. You know, I think having people be remote, you know, you, they have that, that protection of being home but then when you're on the job site and you know it's it's definitely a challenge as well so that was really the i think it was a lot of challenges in regards to the pandemic because and there's also no playbook and um you know so setting up the office for when we were coming back into the office and making sure that people were safe and um you know we had different systems around uh checking if folks had symptoms we had systems around visitors we had, um, you name it, the office, that was probably one of the largest projects that I think all of us as HR business partners and our HR team, as well as office services really had to kind of 
put into into practice. And um, I really enjoyed, you know, that because it was something so new that you could kind of really roll up your sleeves and dig into things. And for me in particular, I support, you know, New York, but also we have an office in Chicago. We had an office in Miami as well that also fall within my region. So understanding the differences in municipalities um, was a huge, huge challenge. Um, not to mention that in Florida, it, it's it's almost like, you know, a pandemic was very, it was looked at, viewed at, it's very, very different than it was up here in New York or even in, in Illinois as well. So um, those challenges were a lot to learn from. And then I also feel like everything that happened with the social unrest was a huge, huge learning, um, you know, for a lot of organizations. But I think for me in particular, um, it definitely kind of took, put, you know, was a challenge to kind of really open up my eyes and kind of see myself as a, you know, an African-American man, um, you know, working in the construction industry, but also just operating as a, as an African-American, as a black man too. So um, I think that a lot of things from the pandemic really put into place a need for, um, you know, better um, DEI programs, um, ensuring that our offices are safe. But then on the other side of that too is, you know, you can have safe offices and you have people that are working in hybrid, you know, situations and stuff like that, but also making sure that managers know how to manage people effectively. So, you know, be it training, um, I will tell you one-on-one -on -one conversations are probably my favorite way to actually communicate with people because I feel like, you know, Number one, you get the nonverbal and, you know, if, you have, if you're viewing folks, it's, it's great to have that. And, you know, we definitely try to do that if folks feel comfortable, but um, I feel like you really can kind of get to know um, how people are doing, um, ensure that they feel supported and ensure that they feel heard, but then also continue to build upon that relationship. And I think relationships also have evolved through the pandemic. And I, you know, it's much more about the human element of people and, you know, how are you doing? what's going on, you know, in your life and all that kind of stuff. That's the support that a lot of people need. Um, and I feel like the past three years has really, really catapulted a need for change and how we manage people. But then also it's an opportunity for HR too, to continue to evolve. And the future of work is really, I think this is where I feel most excited about the work that we're doing in HR is just thinking about the future, thinking about what's gonna, what got us here and how that's probably not going to get us to where we need to go, but then being able to kind of um, almost create that playbook a little bit more and kind of drive some of those changes and really kind of lean into some of the differences that generations have and cultures have and how this really plays into the growth of Shaman too as an employee-owned company. So it sure is an exciting time at the moment, isn't it? Yeah. Of all of these opportunities to reevaluate, to reflect, to think about, you know, as you mentioned, what has worked before and will it work again in this new context? So we're right. very much contextually aware more or at least trying to be, aren't we, as organizations yes. where we want to know, hey, Richard, how are you doing? What is your day going on? Not just as a, ah, oh, that's a small talk. No, right. it will actually adapt my next piece, what I do, what I put in, how I think, maybe even a system and a process. Yeah. Um, because the opportunity to change them has been gifted us. Right. Whereas before changing process or systems was quite tough. You know, we right. had a lot of unlearning to do. We had a lot of business cases to put forward. We had a lot of shift and inertia to try and break through. Whereas now I feel the appetite for change has increased 
But with that is so then the expectations right. of change. Yes. I'm interested in terms of, you know, your sense of almost of uh, change fatigue, you know, where we're hit from internal, external, diversity, political landscape, you know, over your tenure of nearly 16 years, lots of different political landscapes. And then COVID, having knowledge workers and construction workers, all of these things, surely there's elements where there's just exhaustion. Um, And how do you deal with, oh, I'm excited, great, got a new playbook to write to, oh, got another thing to figure out. How do you deal with that? paradox it's a both and absolutely i it's a it's a, a little term i used to use a both and where yes i absolutely am I, they're absolutely it's daunting to think about all the change that's in place and honestly i'm not a person that adapts that takes to change um very well but i think in the in the sense of just survival as an organization and survival you know um throughout this pandemic i think you, you just kind of have to kind of grin and bear it too um, but burnout is so is so real. And my my thinking around burnout too is really just being able to be a sounding board for folks a lot of times. I found that a lot of times people, um, you know, there there there's a lot of change and there's a lot of burnout. And just being a person that they can listen to, that they can talk to, have a strong relationship with, um, I find a lot of times that can help even just alleviate it a little bit, a little bit more than that, you know, that person might need, but also kind of might be able to help them kind of identify what might be some ways that you can actually take a step back and, you know, practice a little bit more self-care. Um, I love to model things like this too, because I feel like that's such a great way of, you know, not only putting your money where your mouth is, but then also just showing folks what it looks like as well. So, you know, whatever I need to do, if I need to, if I have to go to a soul cycle class at, you know, right before work and it makes me a little bit late for a meeting or what have you, or if I need to take some time off to work remotely, just because I'm, you know, involved in a conference or anything like that, being able to model that and show that on my calendar, talk to people about it, um, really check in on people, how they're doing with their weekends. Um, you know, how are things going with, you know, a lot of people got dogs over this, this past few years or so, but being able to share kind of different puppy photos and stuff like that, um, bringing a little bit more light and, um, a little bit more energy and just building upon those relationships. I feel like a lot of times that can really, really help folks get through burnout and it can be, maybe it's a quick fix for the moment, Sometimes those quick fixes really can kind of add up and continue to compile and really make folks feel valued at their organization, but um, also just continue to build upon that support system that a lot of us are are looking for and need that nourishment to continue to to work and to thrive. I, I think you're right. You know, it's that connection right. that helps us through, you know, a connection by understanding what someone's going through. Exactly. Good and bad. Hey, exactly. you've got a puppy. Cool. Let's know that. Right. Oh, this has happened. Hmm. A, a family member, this, yeah. whatever it may be, is right. knowing the human side. And at the same time, there's jobs to be done, work right. to be done, all right. of those. And that balance sometimes, you know, the pendulum sways around and acknowledging right. that is, is important. I'm interested. So the when we cast the vision out a little bit and trying to look at what are all of these, you know, talent development areas, how are we getting employee mobility in? How are we reskilling? What are the things that we need to be ready for mm-hmm. in order that we're not just surviving or coping, but we're in right. a thriving state, you know, that we have 
great well-being. We've got, you know, all the things that we as a employee owned business want to create. You right. know? Yeah. What does that look like in reality of some of the things that you're focusing on, some of the things that you're really excited of bringing in that's going to nurture that next you know, development phase for people. Tell us a little bit more about that, Richard. Yeah, so I I, I found that development is probably my favorite area of um, of human resources, and it's developing people. So not only just my direct reports, but other folks within the team, other folks like you know, however I however I can cast my net of developing people. That is something that brings a lot of excitement to me and, and keeps me motivated. Um, but I think some of the things that I'm really most excited about um, are things around just, um, you know, DEI, uh, leaning into the work around that stuff. I, I've always been incredibly passionate around diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging. Um, that's actually what got me to Shamit is just, you know, the work that they were doing, um, you know, 15, 16 years ago around diversity um, with a construction company in Boston, Massachusetts. I never imagined ever kind of being, you know, feeling like I would you know, work there, but let alone 16 years later too. So um, continuing to do go along that journey too. And I think things have changed a lot. And I think we have to kind of reship things uh, within this industry, but um, that's been really exciting. But then also just, you know, things around sustainability, things around philanthropy, um, understanding the, you know, the new generations, the millennials and also the Gen Zs and what motivates them and how does, how do they think about things? But then also this is the first time we've had five generations in, you know, the workforce at the same time too. So looking at those elements of how we all work and play nice in the sandbox, if you will, um, that's really exciting to me too. I, I really, I think the reason why I'm in HR, if, if you if you can't tell already, is I have a good passion around social anthropology and, you know, cultural things around that nature too. So um, that's the stuff that really, really, really excites me too, I'd say for the most part. But um, you know, we're we're moving and consolidating our office, but even thinking about hybrid work environments and how to make that work and how to lean into what the what managers need and what employees need and what that's going to look like in the future. Um, you know, that stuff is is incredibly exciting to me. And the realities of doing these things that work, you know, yeah. you mentioned I love one-to-one sessions, right? Mm-hmm. You get all the non-verbals, all of these bits, and yeah. you'll know that they're they're effective, they work, they're hyper-personalized. You can develop develop out the plans that are relative to them. Right. How does that work at scale? Is it that everyone's having one-to-ones, they've all got personalized development plans, or is there ways that you're um putting people together that are, okay, this is a pocket in area that we know uh, respond to this type of uh, communication or this type of flow that they want to play to win. They're after exploring and doing new things. And this area, actually, they're all about productivity, efficiency, utilizing what we've got, making it better. And so we build people around it. How do you deal with the sort of challenge of hyper-personalization and scaling of development plans? Yeah, that's a that's that's a really great question too. Is um, we did an employee survey um last year, and I think we had a lot of data that came out of that that we were able to really kind of build some action plans around it. And I think what's been really helpful is to be able to continue to talk to different pockets of people about this, being able to also have those one-on-ones as well to continue to build that case and really have a solid understanding of what is it that folks need. Um, you know, and really have an understanding of what job families may need specific to them. And one thing that we found specifically from our employee, our employee data is it was fairly consistent across the board. 
Um, you know, there may be little little nuances here and there for folks in different demographics or in different job families or what have you. But at the end of the day, a lot of folks were looking, were really looking for a lot of career development. They really wanted to see um, how am I going to continue to grow within the organization. But I also feel like there's also another part of that too, is like, you know, getting to do more work and bigger work and larger work and growing all that, that people want to know what's in it for them too. So how is it, what, what am I going to get out of this as well? And how is this feeding into the, the greater good? So having a clear understanding of that um, and just across the board, I think we really, really looked at it as an organization. You know, these are the things that folks are, are telling us and how do we really tailor that to, to those people as well? So it's it's been it's been more at a company-wide level. I, I wouldn't say that we've done anything specific to, you know, a job family or a demographic or anything like that. Um, it has kind of been something that we kind of cast across the organization through training and, you know, all that kind of stuff too. And I guess like many firms, you know, this uh, balance between I want to develop, I want to grow mm-hmm. and which direction do I grow in? Do yeah. I master that skill that maybe the half-life of that skill may be much less than it used to be? You know, do I become a master craftsman? Do I get really good as a bricklayer, for example, only to be actually there's machines that can do that and technology that can do all the various elements that might be in small pockets Mm -hmm. around that can go from deceptive to disruptive quite quickly. And I think construction is certainly an industry where these exponential technologies of using, you know, augmented reality, using different uh, substrates and materials, uh, how we build our environment around us is going through radical transformation at the moment and how on the ground are folks dealing with that are they putting up an immune system to hold on to something they've spent their life building or are they going yes come on in mr technology you know we're diverse i'm diverse not just by you know color or group or age but also by technology or by you know i'll bring in a a robot to help work with me, or I'll bring in this type of technology. Yeah. How does that, you know, between science fiction and reality, what's going on in that area for you, Richard? Yeah, it's that's really funny too. I think it, that is something that specifically depends on the person that you ask, I will say. I also think that the generations also play a huge factor in a lot of this stuff too. Um, but I, I will say that what we found is a lot of our, um, you know, millennials and Gen Z folks, they love anything to do with, you know, the technology and the technological advances and, you know, how can technology also help us grow and help us thrive as we look in the, look to the future. I think a lot of folks that might be on the job site that have been the seasoned kind of construction superintendents that are project managers will, you know, whatever you want to say, it kind of goes across the whole, you know, um, many of the job families, but a lot of those folks have a harder time um, really kind of, I don't, I want to say, I don't know if it's trusting, um, trusting technology or just even, um, you know, understanding how it can also be beneficial. And I also personally believe that it's somewhere in the middle too. I think that right now we're in a place where you can blend the two. And I think it's only going to help evolve um, a lot of the a lot of the different technological advances coming up too, but I do feel like there's a huge there is a lot of resistance around innovation these days too, and and I think that it's it's incredibly important to lean into that and to continue to push there because that that's the way the future. And in order to thrive and be successful in the future, 
we have to get there too. So it's really just kind of um, understanding what might be some levers that you can play for folks to learn from one another too. And I think mentoring is really great. We we do a lot of things around mentorship and um, even just setting up someone that's a really seasoned builder that will take out those drawings and that will, you know, sit down with you with a highlighter or a pen and, you know, dig into the drawings and this is what you need to think of. And, but then also um, having them with, you know, maybe a, a greener um, assistant project manager or field engineer or something like that, that also might bring another way of doing it or maybe yeah. something technologically advanced that, you know, we haven't thought about before too. Yeah. So being able to kind of blend the two a little bit more and have folks learn from one another, I feel like that is, is you know, a nice, if you will, like utopia, if you will. Yeah. I think it's interesting if we look at other industries between where is knowledge held, how's it yeah. deployed, and what is the access to that? You know, if we we had, you know, computers and mainframes and we had dumb terminals and uh, where is the information, where's the processing power? And we can think of this a lot for humans, you right. know, that I, I have a set of knowledge. I went to college, I went to university, I've learned this skill, this, you know, electrician or whatever it may be. And I can apply it. I can problem solve. I can follow drawings. I can apply it. And then in the real world, when it's not quite right with the drawing, I can adapt it and make it work. Right. right. And then on the other case, you have somebody who says, well, I've got a pair of hands and I've got YouTube yeah. and I can, you know, figure out as I go along and learn in line with life, you yeah. know, and uh, even then I can flow in Oculus or augmented pieces that can look at it and say ah that's where the issue is and i don't need the same level of expertise and knowledge that perhaps uh was revered in the yeah. past yeah to now technology being a collaborative component to us to diagnose mm -hmm. to even do the creative stuff you know because we've yeah. talked about our oh, humans well the realm of creativity to now the art, the music, the construction design, the generative design, when we just say, okay, we've got these parameters. I want this kind of uh, temperature management. I want this mm -hmm. kind of force tenure. I want this kind of um, you know, output. Design it for me. And yeah. it creates something from a new material, a new uh, poly that is, you know, been designed. And it looks totally different to how we might traditionally know it's triangles and it's this and we do it in geometry yeah. and yeah. i think this evolution of where we would have done it through collaboration and conversation to now that conversation could even be with an inanimate hey yeah. alexa uh design me the xyz and it starts to do it in the same way i might have the chat with you richard and say yeah. hey i want to do this and you get your highlighter out and the pencil right I'm, I'm fascinated by these phases of shift yeah. of what tasks made up jobs and what jobs made up careers to now what kind of skills make up sustainability of something that we ultimately enjoy doing, yeah. um, of creating an environment that brings smiles to people, helps yeah. them live the life they want to live. And so uh, where you mentioned there's obviously some friction in, mm -hmm. in elements of that change. Absolutely. What do you think are some of the dangers that might exist if people don't overcome those friction points uh, of change or, or shift? What, what, what's your thoughts on that? Yeah, that's a great question too. I mean, I feel like a lot of times um, clients, clients are asking for this as well too. So in order to 
you know, win business or to even be a player in the market, you have to, you have to adapt as well. So I'd say from a business case around that is, you know, getting certain work and being able to, to, you know, bid uh, for a specific project. So I think a lot of times that is a lever that we use around, you know, pushing for more innovation and thinking about things differently and utilizing things like uh, virtual modeling. That's like been a big thing that I think has come up in construction, you know, over the past past few years or so, um, being able to design something virtually and look at it and from a 3D dimension, it, it, it's it's very, very cool. And you can actually, you know, put on the goggles and walk through and I've done it a few times too. And it, it's it's very, very cool. So I think everybody would attest that it is, it is very cool to kind of, you know, look through that stuff too. But um, I, I feel like a lot of times that just the, the nature of the industry, it's pushing us in that direction. And I think being able to to listen to kind of why it's an important and understanding the value behind it. And also more importantly, the client requesting it uh, and also how it, it it leads to efficiency and getting things done quicker and faster, but also just understanding that what might be some of the, the, um, the pitfalls that we're falling into by utilizing this technology and having an understanding of that before, um, you know, I think that's also helpful as well, but I find a lot of times just, you know, pushing on efficiency and streamlining processes, that is incredibly important. And a lot of times that that works for folks, that's a valid argument for them. But then also looking at it as an ESOP company, an employee-owned company, we all want to be successful. We all want to, you know, Shama to, to land on top, to win that huge project. Um, and if a client is looking for that, then that's kind of how we're going to have to execute too. So and I guess it comes down to each organization's heart. You know, what yeah. are their values? Because just because something can be done, because right. it's efficient, right. it might not be the choice you want. It's true. You know, it could that is absolutely be true. the joy of the tactile, of the slow, of the craft. And yeah. I guess it's the beauty of that juxtaposition of those things to know what's the values and the connection that ultimately growing and winning everything Right. might not be the right answer you right. know and it's winning yeah. the stuff that brings joy it's winning the things that give this element of development for people right. to exactly. jump on a plane and go to somewhere new yeah uh, and at the same time leverage something that they feel is part of them and it, that exactly. i guess is life isn't it you know what yeah. do we leverage what's, it, that is what's in it for me yeah. it's that what's in it for me too how am i getting something from this and how is this you know like fostering growth for the collective whole, for everybody. You know what I mean? I think that yeah. that also is huge. If you um, could make a prediction, Richard, about the um, about the firm, about the next, say, three to five years of the key attributes that are going to be the drivers of that success. You know, you've mentioned about your view of investing in talent, in development, in, in these sorts of things. Are there specific areas that you think leadership really need to focus on in that broad term of development and investing talent? In what way? You know, what what are the what are the the stepping stones that you're making for the next three to five years for the organization and for the leaders to be on the top of that pile on yeah. the list, winning the types of things you want to win? What what might those things look like, Richard? I think I think. Um, investment a little bit more into diversity, equity, and inclusion is very big um, because essentially, I think a lot of people get a little bit um, worried about the term itself, the terms, and it's really how you lead and how you manage people really at the end of the day. Um, 
so that, I think that's a that's a that's a big a big um, project or you know something that needs to be driven um, from the top down as well. I also think that um, just understanding um, a little bit more about engagement and what motivates people um, is big, and and really just understanding that. Um, exactly what I said before, what, what got us here is probably not going to get us to the next level and being open to change. Um, you know, in construction, it's just, it's just like you said, you know, you know, a way of building and you continue to want to build that way. And you're like, okay, you know, this has worked for me before and I'm going to keep it going. And why, why change it if it's not broken kind of thing. Um, but it kind of is broken though, too. So I think that there, there is a need to, to always continue to evolve and to develop and, I think having a, an understanding on how management and leadership has changed is something that's very, very big for, for leaders to really kind of understand, but then also how they need to change as leaders and how they need to evolve is um, is incredibly important as well. But I think even the simple, the simple task of listening to folks is critical. Um, just listening to your people, listening to your managers, listening to what's going on outside, listening to what is, you know, what's going on in your own family too. I think a lot of you can learn so much from that to bring back to the business too. Um, because I think we're all, you know, times have changed and it's um, it's no more work-life balance. It's life-work balance. Life comes before work. So having a solid understanding that employees really want to have the flexibility, want to have the autonomy to work when, where, however they want to work to, and being able to, you know, have processes in place and have systems in place to, um, to be able to continue to grow the business like that. But also in that way where you know that people are going to put their life before the work. Um, I think that that's really, really critical for um, leaders to continue to, to work on, continue to grow and flex those muscles yeah. around management and leadership in that area. And also I'd say um, one other thing I forgot to say too, that I think is huge and kind of probably captures a lot of this is um, the levels of empathy and compassion that people have as managers and as leaders. Um, it's been really, really interesting to kind of watch it play out and see how people react to it um, and what the difference is between empathy, sympathy, and compassion. Um, I, I, I'm continuing to learn about it too, but I, I feel like the more that we as people, uh, not just as leaders and managers, but as people practice around compassion, I feel like that is um, something that's so critical after the past you know, few years we have, or even where we're at right now, I still don't feel like we're at, we're in the clear just yet. There's every, every time I turn around, there's something else going on. And, you know, um, but I think the more that we understand that it, that's huge, that's huge. It's interesting. My, um, my wife has, uh, her intent ring. Uh, these intent rings are essentially, uh, a one word, of something that you want more of in your life or that you celebrate of or something like that. You know, we're so driven by the time we yeah. used to have, you know, watches before mobile phones of the time. And you'd always be, Oh, what time is it? Where am I? Where do I need to be? But we don't think about with that time, what am I doing? Who am I? And what, what am I contributing? And uh, her, her word is compassion. I love it's it. her superpower. So it just made me smile yeah. um, of these thoughts of, what is life, you know, and life and work and equally life and work. And we're redefining that contract. We are. Of elements of play, 
elements of learning that we thought were in these pockets that were either age pockets or location pockets or timing pockets that are we go to be educated and learn at this point in our lives and career at these locations and then we go and leverage that investment for our careers with an odd little top up here and there for a bit of professional development to now wow we can have portfolio careers we can have different careers as we go through um depending on what excites us what the environment's going on and whilst that can be unsettling and exciting at the same time that's why we need compassion right because humans are complex and we need to to understand those uh different worlds that exist in our minds and our lives you know so as we come to a a final uh piece in the conversation one of the areas that we've recognized in and around adaptability and how people deal with change you've touched on so many bits of this you know from uh, an ability to unlearn to their Mm -hmm. resilience to their mindset to their you know psychological safety and team support that all manifests in various outcomes whether that's a diversity and inclusion outcome an innovation outcome a belonging retention all of those areas is is one of these things around both hope and the science of hope to be able to have a vision and have a pathway and the agency to achieve that vision so the pathway will be the strategy and the agency is the skills to achieve it and without any of those three things you know, the goal vision or the agency, the skills to do it or the pathway, um, you know, the strategy, we are hopeless and we feel a sense of hopelessness, a sense of unconnected. And if any of those things move, oh, the skill moves, oh, the strategy moves, oh, the vision moves, we can get unsettled. So we have to practice this kind of mental flexibility and curiosity to uncover So my question for you, Richard, is around curiosity. Mm. And it's something that um, traditionally, and the research says, we peak at age five, Richard. We peak curiosity at age five. One of my first interviews was with a lady called uh, Dr. Diane Hamilton, who researched curiosity, developed the curiosity code and index and various things. And I was fascinated by this to think, How can we maintain this playful curiosity throughout our lives? So when was the last time you did something for the first time? And what was it? Oh, my goodness. This is a tough one. Uh, You know what? It's this is a good one. Okay, so um, I think for me, it's practicing self-care is something that I really, really struggle with. I think, you know, growing up, I've always taken care of my mother or my sister and or my friends. And I just kind of really developed that kind of a, you know, that that personality and became that person. And I think a lot of times I have a hard time of saying no or saying like, no, I, you know, I really want to just veg out on my couch and watch Netflix all day, like, or I need a break or anything like that. Um that has been something that I have really, really tried to practice. And I will say this past weekend, um, I had a friend that wanted to, that wanted to go out and wanted to, you know, have like a whole brunch thing and everything like that. And I was like, I am not in the mood, nor do I want to just like ruin my whole weekend, but just, you know, I want to be, I need to take some time for myself and that's okay. Um, 
I feel like that is probably the last time that I I really exercise some curiosity and playing out how everything would kind of, you know, play out for that situation between my, my friend and myself. And just being really honest with them and just letting them know, like, I have had a week. I've had I've had a life period so I think I need just like I need I I would love a weekend just to kind of just work out and just have some time for myself and um that you know the way that they reacted to it is they were like you know what you're right actually um maybe we'll let's rain check that I'm gonna do x y and z what are you doing you know and I told them I was like oh I'm going to soul cycle I'm gonna do this I'm gonna do that and they were like you know what maybe I'll join you too so it was we were able to kind of you know find some common ground in the middle and um, I wasn't trying to influence them by any means. I was honestly just really trying to just be incredibly honest. And um, it was, uh, the outcome was um, was better than I had expected too. So not only was I, um, you know, able to do what I needed to take care of myself, but I was also modeling and showing my friend, you know, that, you know, maybe it might be something that you want to do as well, or, you know, we could do it together too. And that's, that still can be a form of self-care as well. So, um, you know, playing with that stuff is, that's been interesting. And I, I, I feel like it's, it's so critical. I love that. And it is life's journey, isn't it? Isn't it, it is. this balance between what are we programmed to think and do and behave? You know, yeah. what are our biases to, oh, selfish putting one first is a bad thing you know in certain upbringings and then actually to be able to serve there's a reason why they say put on the oxygen mask on yourself before others right if right if we are a server and we look after others we need health we need vitality to do that and we often forget it so i think that's a really lovely message to end on is that practicing the first time curiosity of putting self first absolutely, uh, in order to be healthy, to serve, to serve self and serve others. So thank you for that. I'm going to take that away as well, Richard, um, a really valuable piece. If people want to reach out to you, get in, in touch other HR leaders about what you're yeah. up to, what you're doing, how do they best get in touch with you, Richard? Sure. I would say I, I'm a big fan of LinkedIn. Um, I love different sayings on leadership and management and DEI and you name it or what have you. So I'm always posting things, but I would say just, just look me up Richard Hinton um, on LinkedIn and I will, I will most definitely connect with you. I, I love to talk about this. I like to call myself a, a bit of an HR dork, if you will, because uh, this is the stuff that, that motivates me and allows me to thrive. And even though it's uncertain and it's a lot of complexity behind it too, um, it's, it's something that I, that I, I enjoy working on too. And I'm really looking forward to the future and the future of work. So that's a pretty exciting, exciting thought for me. I love it. Thank you. Richard is in his happy place when he is talking, learning, and thinking about people, their work, and how we contribute. Something we've got in common, uh, Richard, I really enjoyed our session today. Thank you so and much, Ross. Deep gratitude. Thank you. Same. Thank you. Do you have the level of adaptability to survive and thrive the rapid changes ahead? Has your resilience got more comeback than a yo-yo? Do you have the ability to unlearn in order to reskill, upskill and break through? Find out today and uncover your adaptability profile and score, your AQ. Visit aqai.io to gain your personalized report across 15 scientifically validated dimensions of adaptability. For a limited time, enter code PODCAST65 for a complimentary AQME assessment. AQAI, transforming the way people, teams and organisations navigate change.
Thank you for listening to this episode of Decoding AQ. Please make sure you subscribe on your favourite podcast directory and we'd love to hear your feedback. Please do leave a review and be sure to tune in next time for more insights from our amazing guests.